If you want to remain standing now as we read God's word together, these words from the Gospel of Mark, uh, an exchange between John the disciple and Jesus. Let us read these words together. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about new opportunities that we have here at Acts 2. Uh, there are a lot of things happening, some things changing, and, and we are very excited about what we believe God is calling us to do here at Acts 2. Uh, if you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. It might, might help guide you through this conversation that we'll have for the next several minutes. Um, that we believe that one of the exciting new things that God has called us to is actually to start a new church within Acts 2. Uh, this new church will be called One Church. Um, you, you might have heard me say before that this is going to look a little different than anything Acts 2 has ever done before. Uh, a few years ago, uh, Acts 2 brought on Reverend Adam Ricks uh, to help uh, cultivate a launch team and then uh, launch an actual new church out in East Edmond uh, called Connect. They're getting ready to build um, a campus out at Sorghumil and Coltrane. Uh, we're very excited for them and hope you'll join us as we pray for them as they go through those final steps. Uh, but that is an entirely new church that Acts 2 helped start and uh, what they call daughtered a church. Uh, this new church, this one church, will be a little different. This will be a church within Acts 2. It will be a ministry of Acts 2. Uh, I will be the lead pastor of one church, but will be on staff here at Acts 2. Um, River Mark Foster, our founding pastor, will continue to be my uh, supervisor, my senior pastor. Um, and this will be a ministry, something that we believe Acts 2 is called to do, because we believe that we are called to do this new thing to reach new people, uh, right in the neighborhoods right around us, people we are not currently reaching. Uh, people from the neighborhoods of Valencia, uh, the Point Apartments, La Sonata, Scissortail Landing, and Settlers Crossing. These neighborhoods that are right here in our backyard, these places that we believe we have an ability to reach with a new thing. And so we are going to be starting a church. We'll be launching in February at Frontier Elementary, just right next door here. And uh, it's a very exciting time. We've been uh, dreaming about this and praying about this for a long time. There have been several steps that have led to this point, and we are very excited. Uh, so we believe that God is calling us to start this new church, this one church. And the name comes uh, from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. We call it the letter to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Paul says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. This is the new opportunity that we have uh, before us here at Acts 2. And I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, our new opportunity, as in the sermon series. We've been talking about this for several weeks. We'll talk about it one more week. Um, and, and I do want to spend some time talking about our, our new opportunity. Um, but I do also believe I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little, about, little bit about our collective pain as a country that we've experienced uh, this week. We've experienced uh, tragedies, um, in uh, Louisiana, in Minnesota, and in Texas. And as I sat down to prepare uh, this word today, and, and as I felt the leading of the Spirit, I, I, um, I felt conflicted. 
Because I want to celebrate where we believe God is calling us to go. I, I, I want to celebrate where I believe we are being led by the Spirit. But I also want to stop and point along the road what is happening in our world. Uh, the scripture uh, for today and, and the sermon title um, had already been selected um, by the time you know, these events had occurred. And, and, and as I sat down today and thought about um, if I was going to write this sermon over, if I was going to rename uh, this sermon, um, I would name it, I Wish. Because I wish we lived in a world where violence was not the norm. I wish we lived in a country that did not seem to have this collective amnesia where we mourn for a couple of days and then simply forget that something ever happened. I wish we lived in a world where public servants felt safe and didn't fear for their lives. And I wish we lived in a world where we were able to love one another and to provide each other safety. And I believe we are working towards that. My hope and my prayer is that we are all making steps toward making this world a reality. But until that happens, we will continue to read the Gospels. We will continue to read God's word for this world and what God wants to happen in this world. Read a little bit about what God wants to happen in this world in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, what we just read. And, and, and in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is teaching the disciples, first of all, about children. Uh, all these children rush to Jesus, and, and Jesus says, Don't prohibit these children from coming to me, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And in the midst of this story about children, the disciples run up to Jesus and, and inform him of this man casting out demons, they say, in Jesus' name. And they said, we tried to stop him, because why? He was not following us. Not because he wasn't doing it incorrectly. Not because demons weren't being cast out in his name. Not because anything was going wrong, but simply because he was not following us. I think in our world today, there are a lot of people who don't follow us. Right? Maybe they go about it and, and do things, maybe the ways we wouldn't do them. Maybe they voice their concerns in a little bit different ways than we would voice ours. Maybe they, they demonstrate it in a little different way than we would demonstrate. They, they voice grief in a little different way than we would voice grief. The disciples say he's not following us. And so we tried to stop him. I wonder if the disciples were just a little bit jealous of this man. I wonder if the disciples were just a little bit jealous of this man who was casting out demons in the name of Jesus. Because what we read in the same chapter, the Gospel of Mark, are the disciples trying to cast out demons and they fail. 
It happens just a few verses earlier in Mark 9, uh, verses 17 through 18. Uh, someone from the crowd uh, comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak, and whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down. And he foams and grinds his teeth, and it becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. The disciples go about their ministry, they go about with Jesus, and they find this man doing something that they have never done before. They find him doing something they have never done before, and they're angry, and they're jealous, and so they go and they tell Jesus about it. And and I can just imagine John, as he goes to Jesus, just hoping that Jesus will be a little bit angered by this. Right? If John can go to Jesus and, and tell him and say, Jesus, this, this man over there is casting out demons in your name and he's not one of us. I wonder if he was hoping in that moment that Jesus would reprimand him. Because in some way, we want someone else. We want someone else to mess up just a little bit more than we did. We want someone to be reprimanded for something that was just a little bit worse than what we believe our sin was. That I wonder if when John went to Jesus, he was hoping that Jesus would be enraged, that he would go to this man, that he would stop what he was doing, and that he maybe he would, he would cast down this hellfire, that Jesus would make this uproar like he did in the temple when he saw all of the money changers there, that I wonder if in that moment he hoped that there would be this uproar. And Jesus responds to John. And he says, let him be. And I wonder if in that moment John felt that twinge, that twinge of guilt because he knew. He knew what Jesus has said in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. It's easier to notice the speck in another's eye than it is to notice the log in our own. It's easier to point out the faults in another than it is to recognize the fact that we are all flawed. We all have faults. We all have prejudices and shortcomings. What was true for the disciples is true for all of us. And Jesus looks at John and He says this in Mark chapter 9. Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For a moment, there's so much in these words of Jesus that, that one of them is that anybody who speaks the name of Jesus is able to perform these incredible deeds of power. That I, that I think this speaks of the magnitude of words. This speaks of the power that our voice has. That, that if we are able to speak to one another, especially as Christians, we are called to recognize the power that our words have. That each and every time we speak with one another, we are called to share Christ. We are called to speak in the name of Christ, to offer the healing power that Christ's words have. 
For Jesus says there's amazing power in the name of Christ. And Jesus says that whoever is not against us is for us. Now, I think this is a little backwards from the way we've heard it before, right? That many times what we hear is this false dilemma that whoever is not for us is what? Against us. This is what we hear in the media and and on the news that anybody who is not immediately on my side Anybody who does not 100% agree with my stance is against me. This is a false dilemma, friends. It's a logical fallacy. It's not true. And Jesus flips his entire thing on its head and says, anybody who is not against you is for you. That even in this instance of ministry, that somebody performing ministry just a little bit different than the disciples this church that does just a, things a little different, this, this church over here or over there, these ministries that run just a little different than we would run them, they're still for us. They're still for the kingdom. This is what it means to be one body. That if we, as followers of Christ, viewed every other church as one body of Christ, then we could truly see change happen in this world. We could truly see lives changed if we thought of it as one body. That we're not in competition with one another. We're not in competition with Life Church or Crossings, with Henderson Hills. We are not in competition with any other Christian church in this state or this world. We're in competition with darkness. That if we truly believe that we weren't in competition with any other church in the world, then we believe that we could plant a church right next door to Acts 2. If we truly believe this, we could plant a church in an elementary school just to our south and we could reach out to people we're not currently reaching. Because we believe it's what God has called us to do. Because Jesus says, anyone who is not against us is for us, that we are all one body of Christ. What would happen in our world if if we truly believed that people out there really weren't against us? How would our lives change if we sat down and thought about the people on the other side? whatever movement that might be, or political ideology, or whatever it is, what would happen if you believed that those other people weren't against us? And, and, and you might be thinking that our world is incredibly divided, and it is. Our world is very divided, but this is nothing new. This is the way that it has almost always been, that even in the time of Jesus, his world was incredibly divided. That even within the Jewish faith, in Jesus' time, there were four, over four different factions of the Jewish faith. Um, they looked like this. They had Pharisees, Essenes, Sadducees, and Zealots. These were just four different, uh, what you might call denominations in the Jewish faith. The Pharisees, we hear them referred to a lot in the, in the Gospels. These were laymen who believed in the resurrection. They were theologically conservative. These are the ones who tried to conserve their faith, try to conserve their traditional faith. 
There were the Essenes who thought the temple was corrupt. They believed in the end times, and they were rigid and legalistic. The Sadducees were the priests. They were the wealthy aristocrats. They cooperated with the Romans to preserve the temple. And there were the Zealots, the who violently opposed Roman occupation, who prayed for the Messiah to lead an uprising, willing even to die for their cause. Now, I think as we look at this scale of people, it really doesn't get more divided than this. And all four of these groups are people whom Jesus offended at one time or another. All four of these groups, Jesus disappointed with his ministry. That as he would go out and perform his work, there were people who wanted him to lead a revolt, to lead an uprising, to actually go and kill Roman officials, and Jesus denied it. There were people who wanted Jesus to radically conform to this traditionalist mindset that all we have to do is what we've always done, and Jesus denied it. That Jesus constantly pushed against these different groups, against these different factions. All of these people who were radically divided in his world, he rebelled against all of them and believed that there was a better way. What would happen in our world if we believed that people out there were actually for us and not against us? That if we believed we could actually work together for something good. I believe the world out there could actually change. Jesus is performing his ministry, and the disciples come to him, and they say, Jesus, there's this other man who is doing work in your name. We tried to stop him. Jesus, there is this other man. Jesus, there is this person. There is this they. There is this them. And then there is us, Jesus. And Jesus pushes against it and says, No. He is one of us. Jesus breaks down these barriers between us and them. Jesus breaks down these barriers between us and them and simply makes it we. Paul writes about this in the book of Galatians, chapter 3. It says, for all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is simply us. And know them, there is simply we, all of us in this world together. We are called to be one in Christ Jesus. And so, as we consider the events of this week especially, I want to just recognize the uncomfortableness with what has happened I, I am definitely someone who, who does not like conflict. I, I don't like to talk about things that people might disagree with. I, I, I don't like to talk about things where other people might have an emotional investment. Uh, it's only been in recent history that I've actually learned to deal with conflict well. 
Uh, at a previous church I served, uh, there was um, quite a bit of conflict, and, and I was pretty good at avoiding most of it, right? Um, I, I actually remember uh, there was a person who wanted to meet with me uh, to talk about a very specific subject about which there was some heavy emotional investment, and uh, he did the right thing by, by calling, explaining what we were going to be talking about, and telling me the time he was going to come to my office to talk about it. And I said, okay, and, and I hung up the phone, and then about five minutes before the meeting, I left my office and thought, well, if I'm not there, he can't yell at me. That's an unhealthy way to deal with conflict, by the way, in case you're wondering. It's only been in, in recent history, really, since I've been here at this church that uh, Pastor Mark has really been amazing in helping me uh, deal with tough issues. And not simply dealing with tough issues because we want to deal with tough issues, but be dealing with tough issues because we believe we are called by God to do so. That I think God has called us to feel a little uncomfortable with what has happened this week. And I don't want to define what that looks like for you, but I hope that you will simply be okay with being uncomfortable for a while. Because I believe that the worst thing that happens in the midst of these tragedies, in the midst of, of, of shootings and all of these deaths that have happened, in the midst of everything, what happens is we mourn for a little while and then we forget. And then somehow we just hope it will all go away. I think instead we're called to be uncomfortable. In the midst of social media, we can get inundated with any information we want. And it can be really easy for us to get inundated in information that really doesn't matter. But I would invite you for just a while to be inundated with what God might actually want for this world. And I believe that's a world that's not us versus them, but simply we. Because any division we try to make simply doesn't stand in the light of God's mercy and grace. Because here's the truth. We've all taken advantage of God's grace. We've all taken advantage of it. You might even say we've abused it. That we've received the grace, the forgiveness of God, even when we didn't earn it. Even, even when we didn't deserve it, we received the grace of God. And sometimes we want to believe that our grace, our forgiveness, wasn't as much as those other people. We want to believe that our grace was just a little less necessary than those other people who just needed so much more. It's simply not true. We all took advantage of the grace of God. That there is no us and them, there is simply we. Jesus continues his teaching even after the passage that we read. He talks about stumbling blocks. 
He says, if any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, he says, it would be better for you if, you, if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. I think these are pretty harsh words from the mouth of Jesus. But I think Jesus is just very serious about Christians being a stumbling block. My hope and my prayer for us is that we would not be the reason that someone else doesn't become Christian. My hope and my prayer is that our actions, everything that we do, would not deter somebody from being Christian. My hope, my prayer is the exact opposite, that everything we do, others would want to flock to, would cling to, would know that this is life itself. Jesus continues and says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. He says that if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. Again, these are tough words from Jesus. And I think what Jesus is talking about here is being a perfect Christian, is working to be holy as God is holy. And Jesus is serious about that. Jesus wants every Christian to work to become perfect. And I think we can kind of trick ourselves when we talk about Christian perfection. We can think it's something that we do. We can think it's something that we work really hard to achieve. But here's the truth about Christian perfection. It's not perfect ability. It's perfect release of control. It is perfectly releasing everything we have to the disposal of God. It's giving up of all the power that we could ever muster, handing it over to God and trusting in God's control of our life. This is what Christian perfection is. And it looks different in the world out there, but this is what God has called us to do. Jesus speaks of perfection and he says, if your hand causes you to stumble, tear it off. He says, where it's better for you to live life with one hand than, he says, to go to hell with two. The, the Greek word that uh, Jesus uses to refer to hell is Gehenna. Uh, Gehenna in the time of Jesus was an actual literal place. Uh, it, it was in the valley of Hinnom, uh, just south of Jerusalem, uh, down here in the south part of the map. Uh, the valley of Hinnom, uh, before uh, Judah arrived um, back on the map from Babylonian exile, the valley of Hinnom was where uh, pagan sacrifices, burnt sacrifices were made, even infant sacrifices and uh, uh, adult sacrifices were made. And so once uh, Judah arrived back and Jerusalem was established, uh, this was the place where the garbage was burned. It was said that the stench could be smelled for miles, and it was also said that the fire was never quenched, that there was a continual burning in the valley of Hinnom in Gehenna. Truth is, hell was a literal place. 
Not only do we speak of it as, as a, a, an afterlife thing, but it was a literal place. They knew where it was. The truth is, life without Jesus is hell. Even here and now. There is a hell. And it's when people are treated differently because of the color of their skin. There is a hell. And it's when people who have given their very lives to serve and protect don't feel safe. There is a hell. And it's when a nation becomes so divided that people can't even speak to one another. There is a hell. And that is why we are starting a church. To be light to the world, to push back the darkness. My hope and my prayer for you this week is that you might try speaking to someone. Someone maybe even on that other side. Someone we would normally think of as they and that we would tell them that we are for them. Jesus continues the passage after we've read today and talks about his people being salt in the earth. That, that when others look at them, they would know that they are different. And I wonder what that would look like in this world. If instead of just being more right, instead of just being more on my side, if it would actually look like trying to be together, trying to join with one another, trying to be one body. What would it look like if we called someone or met with someone, had lunch with someone, had coffee with someone on the other side, someone we normally fight with, and if we simply told them that we are for them? No, but also, and no, and this, but simply, I am for you. I believe this has the power to change the world. Just a couple of minutes before the tragedy that happened in Dallas, Texas occurred, this picture was taken. It's a picture of a Black Lives Matters protester standing with two police officers. I believe this is what the kingdom of God looks like. My hope, my prayer is that we would make it so.